Welcome to the Duck Pin Podcast with your host, Brian Griffiths. And now, here's Brian. Coming off the heels of last week's election, one of the more watched races that we saw across the country was the U.S. Senate race in Maine, where Susan Collins defied the expectations of national pundits, at least, in uh, holding off her challenger, uh, Sarah Gideon. One person who was not surprised by that result is our guest here on tonight's episode of the Duck Pen Podcast. He is a columnist for the Portland Press-Herald. He also writes here at the Duck Pen, and he is a longtime Republican activist in Maine and also worked for Senator Collins, Jim Fossil, my longtime friend. Jim, good to see you, buddy. Good to see you, Brian. And first of all, I'd like to thank Chuck Schumer for managing to find a Democrat as less popular than Donald Trump in Maine. <laughs> well, let's talk about that for a second. You know, all of the national polls, a lot of the public polls that we saw had, um, you know, had Sarah Gideon up on Senator Collins for almost this entire race. And I know I had talked to you extensively about this offline about it, and you were convinced that she was going to win. I was convinced that she was going to win. So tell us, what was the real reason that Susan Collins was able to be reelected? Well, the internal polls in both parties, from my understanding, always had it a lot closer than the public polls, which is, of course, usually the case, um, or often the case. But she even outperformed her own internal polls, from what, I, from what I've heard. In fact, if the national political polls had been the national popular vote had been that far off, Trump would have won the national popular vote by seven points. Wow. Wow. That's how wrong they were. That's yeah. That says a lot about the state of polling, um, both uh, you know, both both of the local polls in Maine and a lot of the national polls who were, who were making their making dollars in Maine doing doing all that stuff. So so let's break down the race. Let's first off talk about, of course, the winner. Um, you know, Senator Collins. Senator Collins gets a bad rap, um, an, an undeserved bad rap, quite frankly, um, from national conservatives because she is too moderate for their tastes, even though she is actually probably more of a traditional Republican um, than a lot of people, certainly more conservative, has a more conservative record over the long term than than President Trump certainly has. Uh, but she's also known, of course, for being a Mainer uh, and, and being in touch with the people of Maine. So just tell us just your observations. And, and obviously, we know you're not a you're not an unbiased observer by any stretch of the imagination. But, um, you know, just kind of tell us some of your observations. What was the tipping point uh, that led to Senator Collins reelection? Well, the big thing was the Democrats chose a candidate and who was foisted on the on Maine Democrats by the National Party was basically a cookie cutter liberal Democrat from Southern Maine, with virtually no experience or name recognition statewide, and she was running against somebody who was experienced, well known, the incumbent, and was well known for being bipartisan and, and centrist, representing the state well. That's why Gideon got fewer votes than Trump did. That's why um, there are so many towns that Trump carried. Jared Golden carried and um, Susan Collins carried in the second district. Um, no, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, uh, yeah. Obviously, she, she carried your hometown. I, I think that people, you know, people kind of. I don't think people really kind of recognize the unique geography that that Maine has. I mean, there's you know, there's over a million people that do live in Maine, but there's basically two Maines, for lack of a better term. There's the concentrated metropolitan area around Portland, but the rest of the state is very much you know, very much diverse. Portland um, seems very in tune with Boston, while the rest of the state has a very independent streak, um, you know, very um, you know, very rugged 
you know, not you know, outdoors ethos that certainly isn't in tune with what's going on in Washington. Um, you talked about how Washington kind of foisted Sarah Gideon upon the Democrats in Maine. Could the Democrats have put forth a challenger that would have given um, Senator Collins a more reasonable challenge, somebody who was more closely tied with Maine than, than Sarah Gideon? I think they could have. I think they could have picked a uh, more traditional second district Maine Democrat, like former Congressman Mike Micho from that district, for example, um, who could get more moderate votes, get more independent votes than Republican votes. That was how he won there for so many years. Donald Trump has now created second district twice. Um, and even though he carried it by a smaller margin this year, the margin between the two districts was greater. So the difference between the two, the two different parts of Maine is growing, even though Trump's support eroded. And Collins got support from all over. That's the difference. He got support from you know, most, hardly any Republicans um, who didn't support Donald Trump also didn't support Susan Collins. Like, for example, the former Senate President, Kevin Ray, who ran for Congress in the second district, publicly endorsed Joe Biden, but also endorsed Susan Collins. So did Bill Cohen. You know, these are people who have every reason to not like Donald Trump because they're traditional main Republicans, but they didn't abandon Susan Collins and neither did the voters. Yeah, and and you actually had shared a shared a photo on social media from your neighborhood where there was a it was a a very bipartisan yard sign array, and right next to a Joe Biden sign um, was the was the Susan Collins sign, and I think that definitely speaks to the to the difference between a Washington Democrat um, and, and and Susan Collins being a a, a staunch. A staunch Maine conservative. One thing you mentioned that I think people may not be aware of is, you know, how Maine, um, you know, parses out their electoral votes. There's there's two votes that go to the statewide winner, but Maine is also one of only two states that uh, awards one electoral vote per congressional district. So the first congressional district gave their electoral vote to Joe Biden. The second district gave their vote to Donald Trump. Um, tell us, if you can, kind of how that actually developed in Maine and how much of an impact having those uh, those separate electoral votes for the congressional district has on, say, a statewide race like a U.S. Senate race. Well, it, um, the system first developed that was passed back in the 70s, but it didn't actually affect any presidential elections until four years ago when Trump came to the second district. Um, that was the first time it had ever actually mattered. Um, up until the late 80s, Maine is fairly solidly Republican. The first Republican presidential candidate to lose Maine in a long, long time was H.W. Uh, Bush, and he was running for re-election in 1992 against Clinton. And Clinton carried the entire state fairly easily as a fairly moderate Southern Democrat. And since then, it's gone steadily more Democratic statewide until four years ago. Well, tell us a little bit about that. You talked about the, the switch from um, Republican to, to Democrat over time, what do you think is the are the main causes uh, of that transition? Well, part of that's the trend, the same trend that we've seen in all of New England and the Northeast of losing moderate Republicans. Um, whether that's people like you know George Pataki in New York or um, other Republican senators from New England like Jim Jeffords um, in Vermont, um, that that has eroded over the years, right down to Olympia retiring a few years ago. Um, so there's that trend overall. Secondly, the Northeast is just generally becoming more liberal. You know this as well as I do living in Maryland. Uh, every, every state in the Northeast is becoming more and more democratic, and that's accelerated under Trump. Um, so that hasn't been necessarily 
been good for Republicans in Maine in some ways, but in some ways it has, because he actually has been, been more popular than Republicans have in the past in the second district. Yeah, it seems really connected with the work. He really connected with the working class voters in this district. Yeah, it seems like there. It's kind of the the voters in all of these states, particularly you know, Maryland included. You have this kind of this this strain of national conservatives. It's the the Fox News crowd, the people who get their you know get their news, particularly from the internet or from national sources, and are not getting them from 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 local news sources like your paper, or like you know other papers that are that are across Mar- across Maine uh, or Maryland. And, you know, it seems like that you know, that continued conservatization of the Republican Party, which is good in, in some places, it's not good for a state like Maryland or New Hampshire or Maine, where you wind up going so far to the right. Um, you know, you wind up basically losing, like you said, a lot of those those moderate, um, you know, Rockefeller type Republicans to the other side. How has Senator Collins been able to survive? This is this was her what fifth term, I believe she was elected to. How has she been able to survive that kind of demographic shift in the Republican Party? Well, I think she's maintained a lot of bipartisan loyalty, and she's also made it clear that she's not completely partisan. And by, for example, not switching on the um, Supreme Court nomination this this cycle, it's just one more, and we're not being willing to repeal Obamacare without a replacement plan at all, are just good examples of how she's not willing to just go to the party line on everything. And there are still enough ticket splitters in Maine. Appreciate that. And this year, there were more than there have been in previous years. Yeah, I mean, there definitely were a lot of ticket splitters up and down uh, up and down the ballot. Now, your column in the uh, in the Portland Press-Herald that ran on Sunday of this week, um, it, uh, it talked about how uh, Sarah Gideon could not buy her way into the U.S. Senate and into defeating Susan Collins. Now, tell us a little bit about that and how much um, how much the, the difference was between not just what Gideon raised versus Collins, but how much Washington money kind of got airdropped into Maine in an effort to knock off Senator Collins. Yeah, just between the two campaigns themselves, um, Gideon outspent Collins by more, by more than two to one, which is pretty remarkable given that she has a 24-year incumbent. Um, and then there was all the dark money as well, supported from both sides. And the Democrats had to lead on that, too, which is not uncommon. They often do. But as I said in the column, you know, Maine is a cheap state. So a lot of national political organizations like to pour money in here. Bloomberg did with his gun referendum a few years ago. But we don't always listen to big money. I mean, if we had Paula Page, wouldn't have been governor in the first place. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, Maine is a very interesting state just because of how the media markets are 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 kind of shaped. And you have, um, you know, you've got Portland, you've got... Banger, you've got was it is it Presque Isle? I think is the other medium. Presque Isle, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know we're talking about large, just swaths of Maine that are miles and miles away from any radio station or or kind of local television station. Um, yeah, like I'm in the Portland market. He's not an hour north. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I mean, it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting interesting you know dichotomy. And of course, there are in in Western Maine. You know, there's just places where nobody lives, basically. Um, is it, you know, is pouring all that money in there from groups that don't understand the lay of the land, is that just window dressing at the end of the day? I mean, is that something where they're basically, you know, they've got all this money and they don't know what to do with it, or they or they have all this money and don't know what to do with it effectively? What really drives Maine voters to make a choice? I think it'd be really kind of productive at the end of the day to send that much money into the small state. Um, 
when I think you see this all the time when Washington had swoop into any, any state race, anywhere in the country, um, but especially in Maine. As you know, the Democrats like to run these cookie-cutter campaigns in the SEC all over the country, where they just send in operatives, they tell them what to do, and they, and they talk and point them to death, and that's how they run their campaigns. Republicans are perhaps a little bit less organized, but they're also more independent-minded. Um, so Maine appreciates that and fits Senator Collins' model perfectly. So that's, and they also pre- appreciate her many years of service. And, you know, another thing that I didn't mention before that I should have is that in many years, constituent service that Senator Collins and our team, including myself when I worked there, I've done for many mayors, helping them get Medicare, Medicaid, you know, military benefits, all those things. People remember those that kind of thing in a small state like this. Yeah, I, I think that people kind of kind of underestimate the importance of that, particularly people who are um, you know, who may not be from that state. And, and again, you know, it, it's kind of it, kind of takes on a greater importance in a small state like Maine, because if you're a senator from California, the likelihood that any high percentage of your constituents have have reached out to your office at some point is pretty low. But a state like Maine, you know, one million or so people, you know, you're talking about a smaller pool. And every time that office touches that person, you know, that that endears greater gratitude and it gets passed down from from person to person. I think it shows um, the importance of of constituent service. Yeah. I mean, in the bipartisan tradition, that um, Susan Collins' body sort of in this state is all over the state. I mean, uh, Jared Golden used to be her staffer in D.C. Uh, worked, in, worked on the Homeland Security Government of, Governmental Affairs Committee when he was when he was down there. It was the same time that I was working on staff here in Maine for. Um, so there's a lot of that going on, and there's a lot of um, good examples of Democrats and Republicans working well together in Augusta. Not so much lately, unfortunately, and not as much as. Um, Gideon probably would have liked been able to campaign on, but it still does happen. Right. I mean, I appreciate that. One thing that was unique, it's pretty unique to Maine, um, and I think this was the first kind of, of, of Senate election where this is taken into account, is the ranked choice voting. And, you know, Maine is kind of this one state that's kind of gone all in on embracing ranked choice voting. I know you and I had talked about it privately. You know, it kind of created chaos in uh, in some of the in some of the local primaries. But, um, you know, talk a little bit about that, I guess, uh, you know, the impact of ranked choice voting and particularly what the rank the impact of ranked choice voting was on this reelection campaign. Yeah, well, what the concept is, is it, is it allows voters to rank candidates. Um, and then if, if any candidate doesn't get more than 50 percent of the vote, the lowest um, candidate is, is eliminated. So they're on, essentially they're on spoilers is the argument. Um, I don't really buy that, but that's the, that's their argument. In this case, it didn't come into play at all because Susan got 51% of the vote. So she just outright won and getting getting in conceded on election day. Um, Gideon only got 42% of the vote though because there were two independents, uh, liberal independent, Lisa Savage, a former Green, and the conservative-leaning Trumpian independent, independent Max Lynn. Who I recommend going back and watching the debates if you haven't, because he is a hoot and a half. <laughs> These independent candidates who always wind up in the debates always tend to be. Um, I don't know how much money he's got if he's if he's rich enough to be eccentric, but um, <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about. We we had talked about the kind of the cookie cutter campaign aspect earlier, uh, and about how ranked choice voting comes, um, you know, kind of into play, and let's let's kind of tie those two things together. Um, you know, you talk about Washington kind of airdropping these Democratic campaign operatives into 
uh, a state like Maine, for example, you know, a state where they don't necessarily. Yeah, you think there's another state as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, ranked choice voting, that's a whole different animal. I mean, that's based, you're talking about coming in there and playing an entirely different set of rules. It's like you, it's like airdropping Bill Belichick into the Argonauts game and trying to expect him to know fully what's going on. Um, you, you know, do you think that that cookie cutter style was, you know, not a direct fit for ranked choice voting, where the idea is that you're not you're you're trying to limit the number of people you piss off, so that you're trying to be some at least somebody you know somebody second or third choice. Not so much in this race because the two independent candidates were so small potatoes. I mean, Lisa Savage only got five percent, Macklin only got two percent, so they didn't really have an effect on the outcome. Had that had it been in place during back in 2010 when Paul Page was first elected, then it would have had a big impact because L.A. Cobbler got, like, 30% of the vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in this race, ranked race voting didn't have much of an impact. I think it's going to matter the most. I mean, it had an effect on Bruce Poliquin's race two years ago. Um, he lost after the, after the first round of ranked race voting, when the two independent candidates, almost all their votes, went to Jared Golden. But then again, those guys might not have run if they hadn't been ranked race voting in place. So who knows? Um, where I think it'll have that end up having the most effect long-term is in primaries. Okay. Um Let's talk a little bit about the independent candidates, and um, you know, and, and Maine has a has a strong tradition going back to the seventies of electing independents who are running for office, and we're not just talking about you know an independent you know here or there to the legislature. Two independent governors, um, one of which Angus King went on to become an independent member of the United States Senate. Um, you talk about Elliot Cutler doing well. Um, Governor LePage is kind of his own... <laughs> Governor LePage is his own thing. I mean, I think that's kind of the best the best way to way to describe it. Um, Maine, even within the parties, has a very independent streak, something that, that clearly helps Senator Collins in her, you know, in, in her re-election bid and being able to thread the needle between what happens in Washington and what she does in Maine and, and, and kind of, um, you know, being her own woman you know, in in that regard. How much does that independent streak affect main politics? I mean, I mean, how much does that affect, not just to the perspective of independent people like Governor LePage and, and Senator Collins, who are in the same party, but almost operate in different worlds, quite frankly. Um, and then your, your Pages, your Cutlers, people, you know, people like that. Well, it has a big effect. The, um, you know, I always laugh because we have we, we are the only state that has an independent U.S. senator, and yet he's less independent than our Republican U.S. senator is <laughs> most days. Um, he almost all, always just votes along with the Democrats. He, he did actually endorse Senator Collins for, for re-election six years ago. Not this time. Wonder why. Um, but it has a big effect. It also says means that in individual districts, especially in um, legislative races, people will, will, will be willing to buck, to buck the party quite a bit. I remember eight years ago when I was living in Augusta, we got two Republicans elected in, in the 2012 Democratic wave to solidly, you know, 30% Republican districts in Augusta, and they both won easily. And since then, one has gone on and now represents the city and the state Senate, and we've kept the other state as well. So that will happen at the local level as well. You can, you can have some very liberal areas get represent, like moderate, moderates in the other party. Or even conservative at times, and as you said, LePage was his own um, person very much. So he didn't hew to the sort of traditional main Republican model of being very centrist and um, 
mild mannered and soft spoken. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he appealed to a lot of people, and he appealed to a lot of voters all, all over the state. And I know he's tending bar right now. I believe I saw, but he is uh, he is considering running for reelection again. Um, you know, against Governor against Governor Janet Mills, who has been pretty disastrous for the state of Maine. Um, I know I managed to spend my vacation dollars in Maine this year, despite Janet Mills' uh, <laughs> best efforts. Um, shh, don't tell anybody. But um, uh, you know, you know how much, you know, you know how bad is is the situation there for Mills going in, knowing you know Maine is very independent minded. And she is basically trying to nanny everybody from Augusta about how to deal with, you know, with what's going on. Well, it's interesting. Up until very recently, Maine had been handling the pandemic very well. Um, so that's actually her approval ratings have been pretty good so far from what I've seen in the, in the public polling. But there have been a lot of businesses closing. People haven't liked, liked government running into things. But that's mostly her natural political opponents anyway, right, who are complaining. Democrats think she's doing a great job with it. So I don't know if it'll have much of an effect on the election. And, you know, hopefully it's not an issue anymore by the time 2022 rolls around. Well, that's definitely, definitely true. But um, what will – what will if, if, if it does happen, what will a Janet Mills, Paul LePage, gubernatorial general election in 2022 look like? I don't know. It'll be interesting because – in the, the first time that he ran, that LePage ran in 2010, he ran against Libby Mitchell, who had been Senate President, Speaker of the House for many years, was from the Augusta area. Um, first ran against, first ran for a high office against Bill Cohen Beck, I believe, or John McKernan, um, many decades ago. And so she was kind of the epitome of what Trump would call a, a swamp creature. Um, so she was a perfect foil for Paula Page in that sense. Then, four years later, he ran against Mike Michaud. And the Democrats thought that Michaud would do, do much better being a moderate Democrat from the second district. But he didn't. Didn't do much better at all. Um, the biggest reason that he did better was because the European was voted fairly color the second time around. Not because of anything he did. But Janet Mills is different. You know, she's from western Maine, not Portland, not southern Maine. She has a long, well-established um, history in the state. She was attorney general. Um, her brother's gubernatorial campaign was the first major campaign that I ever volunteered on. So her brother, Peter Mills, is a Republican, one-time Republican state senator for many years. And her other brother, Paul, is also a Republican commentator. And her sister, Dora, is the former CDC director and Democratic National Committee woman for the state. So she's got ties in both parties. She has a fairly moderate, pragmatic approach to things. You know, I've heard Republican legislators say, you know, thank God that she's governor because she holds back liberals and Augusta. Uh, but there could be division within the party, too, right, over the next couple of years, which, which could be very interesting. So, and that's going to be a problem with Democrats, both like Janet Mills and like Joe Biden, who want to try and govern. Yeah, I mean, I think that both parties are looking looking to have internal struggles, the, 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 the moderates versus the left and the moderates versus... Um... I don't really know. I can barely describe what's going on in the Republican Party these days. Um, yeah, the populist, the populist Sorry, versus the conservatives is really kind of the the actual the actual dichotomy there. But well, and to me, the hardening thing about this election was not just the result in Maine, which I like, but also that there was a lot of ticket splitting going on all over the country. 
Um, there were many Republicans that did much better than Trump did, traditional Republicans, who way outperformed Donald Trump. Yeah, House, and, and especially, especially I, as I wrote earlier this week, um, you know, especially where people live, <laughs> you know, I, you know, if you look yeah. at the map, it's like where there are larger, you know, groups of people living, suburbs, larger populations, Republicans at every level outdrew, um, you know, the vote totals in those districts compared to the president, whereas out west. Um, you know, where there's fewer people per square mile, the president, the president did better. I mean, that's 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 a warning sign in, in many areas. But the party will have quite a long time to uh, quite a long time to have to have to have to straighten that out. It's a warning sign, but it's also, I mean, the main result is in a largely rural state. Susan did better both in the rural areas and in the urban areas. I mean, she carried Lewis and she carried Auburn, mm-hmm. she carried, carried smaller sized cities like Gardner. And she did much better in Portland and in South Portland and in the, in the, in the, in the, and in the more populous areas, areas than Trump did. And as you said, Republicans down ticket often did better than the president did, too, which is fascinating because that almost never happens. It shows that most of the, most of the, most of the country knows there's a difference between Donald Trump and the Republican Party, even if Democrats try to, try to claim otherwise. Yeah, and I, as, that's a really good point. You know, and I, I think we saw that with um, if you look at people, you know, candidates like Senator Collins, who separated themselves from Trump, um, they particularly yeah. overperformed, um, you know, what some some more Trumpier candidates did, even in areas of the country that were are more friendly to um, to Republicans. Um, I'm going to get back to and, to, and, and Trumpier candidates in less um, Republican friendly areas like New Hampshire were performed disastrously, while moderates did very well, like the governor. Right. Um Let's get back to to Senator King real quick, and I think there's there's something interesting to, to say about him. Uh, you talked about you know he's been an independent for for a long time. Was a governor as an independent. You know he's been a senator as an independent, reelected as an independent. But you mentioned that he has almost no independent qualities about him whatsoever anymore. He's basically a de facto member of the Democratic caucus. So I ask you. Why does Senator King even stay an independent? Why does he not just become a Democrat at this point? The biggest reason that he was an independent in the first place was because he knew he couldn't win the Democratic gubernatorial primary back in 94 against Joe Brennan. Um, That's why he ran as an independent in the first place. And he's just stayed that way. I think he realized when he ran for the Senate that the Democratic Party brand was more toxic statewide than his own brand. And so it's convenient for him to be independent, but it doesn't really mean anything in this case. I mean, independents in the U.S. Senate are going to caucus with one party or the other just to be on committees. Any right. independent will. But he's less independent than a lot of Democrats are and than a lot of Republicans are. I mean, Mitt Romney and John Manchin are both a lot more independent than he is right. as, a, as a Senator Collins. So do the Democrats even bother running a candidate against him anymore? They did last time. They they had it was a, it was a, they have run candidates against him both times mm-hmm. uh, because – Legally, if, if somebody gets enough signatures, they can be on the ballot as a Democratic nominee. Got it. The party can't stop them. Um, they, did, they didn't support their own candidates, which was kind of amusing. Um, but, you know, you can move up here, run, and get 2,000 signatures and be on the ballot as a Democratic. I can't. Anybody can. <laughs> I'd probably do better than do I'd probably do better running as a Democrat in Maine than I would as a Republican in Maryland these days. But that's neither here, um, that's neither here nor there. Um, one final thing before we get you out of here. Obviously, you're wearing the Patriots sweatshirt this week. The Ravens are playing the Patriots this week. Sunday night football. Um, 
have we decided that it's have we decided now the battle as to whether it was Brady or Belichick, or are you still holding out hope? No, no. I think I think Bill obviously. I mean, I think he's going to stay around for a good long time. Still, I don't know in the exact capacity. I think eventually he may shut down his coach and stay on as general manager. But just because this experiment with Cam hasn't worked out, and that's clearly an unmitigated disaster. Um, I mean, the fumble at the end of the game last week was not great, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if they lost to the Jets tonight. To be honest, um, <laughs> that would be something else. But, yeah. But that doesn't mean that everything else is a disaster with Bill. It just means that the CAM experiment didn't work out. I'm really the CAM was, experiment was going to be a filler anyway, just preparing the way for Stidham or somebody else to come in and take over. So they knew, they knew he was never going to be the long-term answer. So the only question is how, whether he lasted two weeks or, or a year. And honestly, we all know that the worst-case scenario here is that the, the Patriots lose every game the rest of the season and somehow, some way, fall into the number one pick in Trevor Lawrence, which would be pretty much exactly um, you know, exactly the kind of luck the Patriots have had over the last 20 years. Yeah, well, that's why I don't want to be the Jets, actually. <laughs> At this point, it's better to lose. Because <laughs> you know the Jets have just screwed that kid up. Yeah well, yeah, well, he may not even come out. I mean, even based on things that are coming out of coming out of his camp. Um, I don't even I didn't even know that much about him to be honest. I don't talk about football that much. He's he's the best. That's all you need to know at this point. Um, yeah, I suppose I'll try looking, looking at highlight reels at some point. Yeah, he he could play for he could start for several teams in the league right now. Um, yours but included. You know, but you know, Stidham is good too. He has potential. I just think he needs more. He needs to get healthier. And he needs more experience. Right. Time will tell to see what the Patriots really do with their high draft pick. But Jim Fossil is a columnist for the Portland Press-Herald. He writes at the Duck Pin as well. Jim, always good to talk to you, my man. We'll bring you on again to talk about Maine politics sometime in the future. Brian, good to see you. Have a good night. Good night, man. This has been the Duck Pin Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and download.